We always talk about that we have so much to talk about and we never have uh, enough time to do it. So we've got a little plan to make up for that. Indeed we do. Uh, November is such an interesting time. We have so many things to talk about. So instead of our regular two-week production schedule, we actually have different podcasts coming out pretty much every Thursday in November, starting on the 12th, then the 19th, then the 26th, and then that first week of December, we have another podcast coming out. You had a calendar in front of you, didn't you? (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) Make a note on your calendars to join us the next four weeks in a row. Welcome to Nature Centered, a podcast from Wild Birds Unlimited about feeding the birds and enjoying nature right in your own backyard. Here are your hosts, naturalists John Schaust and Brian Cunningham. Hi, everyone. I'm John Schaust. And I'm Brian Cunningham. And welcome to episode 14. And we are so excited. It's happening. They're coming. The wandering winter finches are showing up all across the U.S. What does that mean? We're going to tell you all about it. Going to be very exciting, not just this episode, but setting up for winter and all the fun, cool birds that might show up in your yard. So we're going to talk about those and what they look like, what they sound like, and... Yeah, how could you might attract them to your yard? Who are they? What's the science behind it? Plus, we also have a kids activity at the end of our episode that we'll talk about. So stick around for the fun today. Yeah, we're also going to talk about things that you can do at home to help scientists track all these winter wonders throughout the entire winter. So we have made it to another year where we have a finch eruption coming out of Canada. This is not something that happens all the time, and it looks like this year is going to be awesome. So we're going to tell folks all about it today and get everybody else as excited as we are. Well, I hope they get as excited as we are, John. Birds are on the move. And we're seeing it already happen. They're coming down. They're visiting people's backyards. And, you know, we talked back in episode 10 about migration magic. And that was just some of the really cool fun facts and amazing feats that birds do for migration. But this is a little different than that. Yeah. yeah, and it's going to be really cool. We, uh, again, unfortunately, many of us are kind of stuck at home uh, more than we mm-hmm. normally would yeah. be. But it's actually been a wonderful year. The the birding that we've been able to do around our own houses and at our feeders this year has just been exceptional, or at least it feels exceptional because we've been watching it maybe more than we normally have. But this winter has the potential for being truly exceptional. Uh, we're going to have things like, uh, hopefully, uh, showing up in our yards, if not already, red-breasted nuthatches, purple finch, pine siskins, evening grosbeaks, oh. uh, and, a, and a few other things. Uh, so yeah, some people are of, getting blue jays that don't normally get blue jays. Which is really cool, too. So it could, yeah. the, the game is wide open. So we'll come back and we'll explain all about this in just a few seconds. Okay, so what does this winter finch... <laughs> John and Brian, you're talking about a winter finch eruption. What are you talking about and why? What causes a winter finch? Why don't they come down here every year? Why is it not every year? <sighs> lots to cover, Brian. So oh, why don't we dive into cover. a little bit of the science about this first and explain why this happens and why these birds are showing up uh, in many parts of North America right now? Yeah. Um, talk about what are the winter finches and what is eruption. We hear those different things. You know. So when you, you first start off, the summer growing conditions for 
different kinds of trees for fruits and seeds and nuts, you know, the conifer trees, those are evergreens, and then deciduous trees, the ones that lose their leaves. All of those are really important to birds, and the birds like to eat those seeds. And if you look at the northern boreal forest, which happens in North America, most, uh, you know, a big swath of that is up in Canada. And we have all these different birds that feed on all these different natural foods from the trees. If you don't have a good growing condition, and so, you know, maybe this year there are just not a lot of fruits and seeds, then those birds will then naturally erupt and move to other places. And a lot of times that happens um, in wintertime. Yeah, that's kind of the definition of an eruption is basically when a large group of birds uh, pick up and move uh, and end up in places they don't typically have as their home range, outside their home ranges, and typically it's because of food supplies, the need to move around to find adequate food supplies. Yeah, and these, these different kinds of birds, you know, we already hinted at, you know, winter finches. It's kind of this grouping of birds a lot of times. It could be the pine siskins and purple finches, red-breasted nuthatches are in that group. Um, you get some grosbeaks in that group. You get other birds like crossbills, red, um, red crossbills and white-winged crossbills. And, and every once in a while they'll throw in maybe the blue jays are part of that group. They're not really a finch kind of bird, but they do feed on similar kinds of foods. And sometimes we'll do this weird kind of eruption out of the northern boreal forest. Yeah, we got to give a tip of the hat to the guy who started all this, a guy oh, named yes. Ron, Ron Pittaway. He's uh, He was a naturalist up at Algonquin Provincial Park for his early years and then spent, uh, I think, probably about two-thirds of his career teaching uh, about natural resources and conservation. But when he was a naturalist at, uh, at the Algonquin Provincial Park, he started noticing the years where there were lots and lots of cones on the pine trees and the fruit trees had heavy uh, years uh, with lots of fruit. He noticed that the, the abundance of these different winter finches, as we keep calling them, uh, in the park uh, were, were, you know, really abundant. Uh, then he also realized that when the pine cones and the other seed sources, the uh, fruit trees, etc., had a bad year due to drought or whatever, uh, he noticed that the populations were way down and he got thinking about it. Well, Ron put a work together, ultimately, a, a network of like 40 different people across Canada that he could go to every year late in the summer and say, you know, what's the seed crop or what's the pine crop or what's the fruit crop look like? And it was because of that that he was able to start predicting the movement of all these different finches. For 20 years, uh, Ron would put out his forecast uh, for what he projected uh, was going to be the movement of all these different birds. And it was an amazingly accurate forecast. So uh, Ron's retired. Uh, he's uh, got a successor. Yeah, Tyler Hoare. Yeah, that's it. Is now a successor. Tyler actually was one of the uh, contributors one of those ornithologist birder contributors that was helping Ron with the information and the data. And he really got a, a huge passion for it, part of the Ontario Field Ornithologist Group. And he has picked up this baton because so many people look forward to, I like what Ron um, kind of coined it at one point, the, the winter finch forecast is the art of good science. And, you know, John, like you said, he's, Ron was gathering all this data but then he was having to interpret the data and kind of that art of, so what's going to happen with the birds? <laughs> and so really excited. People look forward to this winter finch forecast every year. It uh, used to come out in October. It's 
pretty solidly been coming out towards the end of September. And birders all over, especially in the, the eastern part of the U.S., all across Ontario, and even now out west, folks are looking forward to, okay, so what's the prediction? Because then it would affect me going out and looking for birds or my favorite, who might show up in my yard? Yeah. And can I be ready for them? Well, obviously, it's a big help for us when we see it because we're able to inform our stores all across the U.S. and Canada to have your customers, have their customers look out for these different potential birds showing up or or maybe the fact that they're not going to show up this year. Last year was not a very big eruption year because of the abundance of food up in the boreal forest. So it's a really cool thing, and it really does show you what one person who puts science and a little art together uh, can come up with and, and have such an impact so, uh, and we're going to talk about in our in our Save the Songbird segment, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about things that you can do uh, as a potential citizen science to help keep this data uh, coming and uh, valuable for uh, scientists to use. So we'll talk about that later. But maybe it's time to talk about the winter wanderers. So let's yes. dive into each of the different birds that people might be able to see at their backyard, at their feeders, and a little bit of the details about that. So John, which bird should we start off with? Should we start off with a bird that's already moved down and, and has crossed pretty much all lower 48 states? <laughs> I, which one are you talking about, Brian? <laughs> it is so, really on the move. It is so cool that pine siskin have already, you know, the, the finch forecast indicated that they'd be coming south after the food ran out up in the, you know, what sparse food there was up in the boreal forest and in, in Canada. But I think it's happened faster than what any of us really thought it was going to. Definitely. And in, oh and in goodness, larger yes. numbers, huge stuff coming in. So, yeah, let's start with the pine siskin. I love it. Yeah, pine siskin. I always wondered how these pine siskins, when they show up, it, they kind of look like goldfinches, but they just look really streaky. Lots of streaks you know, on their head, their chest, uh, their back, their sides. So it's kind of a... If you're used to seeing a goldfinch in a winter drab plumage, it's got lots of streaks. Um, and I always wondered, so what do they always eat? Um, if they're if they're not coming to my yard, what are they naturally eating? So looking things up like that, they love seeds from a lot of those conifers and some of the deciduous trees, you know, hemlocks, those conifers, uh, evergreens, uh, but alders and birches for those trees that lose their leaves, um, cedars as well. But when they come to my yard, and I know when they come to everyone else's yard, my yard's no different, they love the same kinds of foods that finches love. So having niger or black oil sunflower out, they prefer it out of the shell, but not that they won't eat it in the shell. It's just a little easier if it's already out of the shell. Uh, So I love having that food out for them. And John... I just got them last week. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think it was probably early last week that I got it. it was one day, I think you actually, you and I were talking on a Zoom call or whatever, and I looked up at my yep. feeders in the backyard, and there were like 13 siskins at my feeders. It was like, ah, Brian, they're here. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. That was so cool. Uh, yeah, and siskins are one of those birds, too, that, you know, you have to do a double take sometimes. Mm-hmm. You might yes. just, uh, if you don't look closely, you might just think you've got a bunch of goldfinches at your feeders. But if you look at those things that Brian was talking about, especially that little stiletto bill, and, and just a oh, hint yeah. of yellow in the tail and the and the feather and the wings, and the striping. The main thing is the striping. Uh, you'll you'll be able to pick them out. But I think one of the other cool things I love this bird is its call, and it's just a, a zipper up. It's a zip, 
and I'm terrible at imitating that. It, you know, the That's bottom a good line try. Is, well, there, you know, you'll you'll get and when Three? you, yeah, then you'll be outside, you know, breaking leaves or whatever it might be, and boy, all of a sudden you just hear that, and it's just an immediate bites us skin, they're here, you know, because you know, yeah. So very cool, very cool. So anything else on the pine siskin? Uh, uh, yeah, a couple things. It's interesting too. Um, you know, the pine siskin, they're a lot. It's a, it's a pretty large group uh, population-wise, and they'll move depending on where the foods are. You know, they from that northern border forest, they might move east or west following food crops. Yeah, that's very cool. So they may not drop into the lower 48 states much. Um, we know this year they've moved west. And they've moved south, so they're I mean, they're already in Alaska and the Yukon chasing food sources, um, the whole British Columbia Pacific Northwest area. But it's super exciting because they are already in the eastern part of North America. They are dropping down, like you said earlier, way sooner than anyone predicted, and in larger numbers than we ever expected. I've seen people in Pennsylvania with 150 in their yard feeding at feeders. Yeah, and that amazing. And you know, other people, you know, maybe you get two, three, four, or five of them. But always watching your feeders to see, and always having your ear listening for that kind of a call, because it's always so much fun, as you can tell. You and I get a little excited when that new bird shows up. <laughs> it's just it's just fun because all winter long now we can anticipate having those yep. guys hitting our feeders and just that one you know additional notch of entertainment mm-hmm. and activity at our feeders, as well as our next probably most common uh, visitor already arriving. There's no bird cuter in the world than their little red-breasted nuthatch. Just a oh, cute yeah. little guy. Has the really like, yeah, 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 yeah. And again, not imitating yeah. it very well, but it's a, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's tin horn. And, uh, you know, just, just great to have in our backyards. And it, too, is starting to show up uh, throughout much of the eastern part of the United States. Uh, oh, fairly yeah. far Western south. Western, too. I mean, every well, yeah. state. Yeah. Every state yeah. in the lower 48 this year already has red-breasted nuthatches. Yeah, so how cool is that? Oh, I love... The nuthatches are one of my, my favorite family groups. Um, they and another group of birds, the, the thrushes, we'll talk about them someday, right? Uh, but the nuthatches are so much fun because um, a lot of times they're nicknamed the upside-down bird. They're that bird that will walk um, head down on a tree trunk and they're looking in crevices for insects and thing and morsels of food in there but they'll come to feeders pretty regularly just like whether you have white-breasted nuthatches um, pygmy or brown-headed nuthatches they'll come to different kinds of foods uh, different kinds of suets um, those suet-based foods i love they love bark butter foods bark butter bits or this uh, spreadable bark butter and you know bark butter we've talked about is that suet and peanut butter based kind of a spreadable suet food uh, they also you know they naturally eat obviously insects um, so hit the suets but they also like seeds and putting out sunflower chips or um, sunflower with the shell on it because they'll come in and they'll pick up some something for a quick bite or take something with a shell and go cache it somewhere for a little while to feed on it later yeah, I love these little birds, and, and uh, you know, one of the cool things about them is they're 
pretty loyal. Once once they show up at your feeders, you're more than likely going to hang on to them throughout the entire winter. And actually, well into the spring, they're one of the later birds to head back north. And every once in a while, we think, man, am I going to be able to keep one here you know, throughout the summer? And, and they always end up leaving. But they are very late in, in departing and heading back north. So, so they're a very loyal, true blue bird that comes to your feeders during the wintertime. So very cool. And you mentioned that upside down uh, trait that, that all the nuthatches yes. share, that they can walk basically head first down a tree. And it's like... Why? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, why can't other birds do this? <laughs> How can they do that and nobody else? Well, creepers, but uh, nobody else really can. And it's actually a very cool adaptation. And, you know, birds, the uh, configuration of most birds' foot is three toes forward, one toe back. And on that back toe, if you will, the claw or the talon or whatever you want to call it in the, in the form of, uh, you know, on, on that back toe is extremely long. And it basically allows that bird to hang upside down from that back toe as it walks upside down uh, downward on trees so it's very cool very cool all right so there's two of our four major ones i wanted to Mm -hmm. hit evening roast beak because here in indiana uh, many many years ago i was working at a state park in northern indiana uh, very close to michigan state line and it was during the period when evening grosbeaks were very, very common winter visitor. Uh, most winters, we would get evening grosbeaks. They eat you out of house and home. I would just <laughs> yes. about lose my entire budget at my nature center for bird feeding because I was buying so much sunflower seed for the uh, grosbeaks because they'd go through it. And he put it out on a big tray feeder. And they just be coming in droves, just huge numbers. So very cool bird. And then because of their population decline, uh, some uh, reports are 90% uh, decline since the uh, 70s and the 80s. Uh, It's not been something we've seen for a long time. But Indiana, just this week, got its first reports of evening grosbeaks showing up. So we're pretty excited that we might have a chance to see evening grosbeaks at our feeders this year. Yeah, we didn't. We like you said, we used to get them a few decades ago, and in the eastern part of the U.S. during some of these winter finch eruptions, all the way down into um, the, some of those lower southern states. Uh, but out west, if you're in mountainous areas, there are populations of evening grosbeaks that live up in the mountains. Uh, you know, along the the whole southwestern corridor and Rocky Mountains, um, some of the Sierra Nevada areas, where they live in the mountains and you might get them at feeders especially if you live up high or sometimes one of those eruption scenarios is if it just gets too too harsh of a winter and the seeds seed crops and are failing up there as well or they just didn't have a good growing season then they'll erupt down into the lower elevations where they won't necessarily you know move further latitudes north or south but they will erupt down into kind of the, the foothill areas and you can see them a lot easier so it's there it's an the, the evening grosbeak is an interesting bird and where they live and how they move about according to the food resources so it's always really good to double check a, a, a field guide or one of those online or apps uh, for birds where do they naturally live but john what kind of foods are you putting out make sure you have for them for the evening grosbeaks, I know I've got some food out. 
this is where my uh, foundational feeder, I, I have one feeder that I will always maintain no matter what. Uh, I may move around and change out some of my other feeders, but my hopper feeder always has a nice uh, blend and it's in the shell and it has stripe and blackwell sunflower seed and safflower. Uh, these guys love stripe seed, to be, be honest mm -hmm. with you. So, uh, you know, it would be the type of thing where stripe and blackwell sunflower seed would be their absolute number one food to to get them to come into your backyard so yeah kind of like your typical gross beaks you know if you have black-headed gross beaks or cardinals yeah. or yeah. blue gross beaks exactly. that ever come to feeders they like the same kind of foods exactly another food that i always think you know you're going to talk about some of that the natural native kind of things you can do in a yard uh, evening gross beaks love wild cherries and they don't the, the interesting thing is they don't like the fruit they actually take the fruit off of a wild cherry because they want the seeds <laughs> I'm like now it's like being a little uh, a picky eater right <laughs> well and think about it for a second you know wait a minute we're talking the pit of a cherry have you ever tried to cut through or break the pit of a cherry <laughs> get now some pliers know, out yeah. get a vice out right <laughs> now you know why they call them gross beaks because it's an amazingly strong and versatile tool that they can actually crush or break <laughs> open cherry pits yeah it's crazy unbelievable All right, and the last but not least on our hit parade is yeah. uh, one of my favorite birds, and I'm hoping uh, big time that they start showing up. I know some people have already seen them uh, around the Midwest here, and that's our purple finch. Mm -hmm. It's another one of those birds you have to look real close uh, because you might miss it because it looks a lot like our house finches. Yeah, house finches and Casson finches. Yeah, oh, man, you're out yeah. west of Cassins, so bottom line, uh, look close. Look at, for those things that uh, distinguish it from... Uh, you know the colors yeah it's more of a purplish wash or kind of a uh, wine color so that's that's a challenge uh some people really tune in on the face markings it kind of has a light stripe above and below the eye so some people tune in that some people work yeah. the difference and that little purpley uh, the cheek patch yeah yeah you know anytime that that house finch purple finch shows up i'm grabbing the binoculars this time of year to make sure you know it does it have the right coloring on the on the head and the back or or the females have um very different than a house finch in that they the females have the uh this big white eyebrow um and female house finches don't have that but the female purple finches do um, otherwise they're just brown streaky birds uh those are lbbs little brown birds right <laughs> yeah this is one you definitely need to get to a field guide and and compare the two and, and really note the field marks so that you are prepared and ready should one show up at your feeders so very cool all right so we better move on to too much to talk about with all these guys but you can tell we're incredibly excited that it's happening and it's going to give us a lot of fun in our feeders this winter and it's going to be something we can share with the kids right brian that is right. So let's talk kids activity. Uh, I was pondering this one and I think the most fun you can have with something like this is let's learn about the birds. So, you know, for a kid's activity, why don't you go look up the pine siskin, red-breasted nuthatch, the purple finch, and the evening grosbeak and do two different things. You know, we talked a little bit about the calls. So try to listen, learn and listen the calls and try to imitate them because it's, it's just fun. Get those calls in your head because sometimes you hear them before you see them. Uh, and hey, it's just fun to 
try to imitate anyway. But then the second thing is get good images or pictures of them and try to draw and color the birds because the best way that you will ever learn how to identify a bird is by sketching it out. And you do not need to be some amazing artist. It's just about trying your best and trying to put the right patterns and the right colors in the right places on the bird. That's really going to help your brain to connect the dots so that when you see that bird, and especially with some of them looking kind of similar to other birds, this is really going to help you to nail that down. Plus, you can put some foods out for them and try to attract them. We talked a little bit about some of those foods, but if you want to know some good places to go, how can you see and hear these, check out our show notes for some great links as well as a, a really good free app from our partner, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Yeah, and we always talk about a little bit about our, our certification and backyard habitat. And, and uh, our last show had a lot of great tips and trips uh, for getting your, your yard ready for winter. And all those things will really help in bringing these birds to your yard also. Uh, I would also recommend that we want to help track these birds and, and learn more about their movement. And anybody can help do that. Anybody can be a citizen scientist. Uh, go to Cornell Lab of Ornithology's website and look up Project Feeder Watch. Uh, actually, it works. Uh, it is a project that goes throughout the entire uh, winter. It starts on the 14th, I think, of November and goes through the early part of April. And uh, it basically once a week you can sit down and take a track make a make a, a record if you will a checklist of all the birds that you're seeing in your backyard and submit those to project feeder watch and it's been going on gosh project feeder watch probably been i want to say like 20 years i think it's been around for a long time gives a great database on what happens to all these different birds and where they're going and how many there are throughout the entire winter and of course christmas bird counts uh, national audubon society's uh, promoting uh, christmas bird counts again this year which they've been doing for about 110 plus years i think it is and uh, uh just do a christmas bird count uh, search and you'll be able to go to our show notes. We'll have a link to the Christmas bird count there too. Uh, but that's something you can participate in, and, and it's a, a nice snapshot of what's going on with the birds uh, during the two-week period for the Christmas bird counts to take place throughout North America. So, so very cool, very cool. Uh, as you can tell, as we always say, we could talk about this for hours and hours, but I think our time is about up. So. Uh, Hopefully, uh, you have gotten as excited about having these birds show up at your... Hopefully, a couple of them are already there, uh, but if not, keep looking for them, and hopefully, they'll show up soon. Yeah, John, it is always so much fun when these um, welcoming our winter wanderers, the winter finch eruption. Uh, so hopefully, everyone's, like you said, getting those birds. If not, get some foods out there, start learning what they look like and sound like, and go have some fun. Absolutely. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. As always, we really do appreciate you uh, tuning in to our nature-centered podcast. Uh, next time, we're planning on talking about how birds wing it through winter. Uh, but as always, we're going to let nature be our guide. So take care and be safe. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nature Centered. To subscribe to this podcast, for show notes, or to connect with the Wild Birds Unlimited store nearest you, visit wbu.com podcast. Until we meet again, take some time to relax, enjoy the birds, get out in your backyard, 
and stay nature-centered.